Lord, you are the faithful one. You are our hope. You are the rock on which we stand. You are the one who lifts us up. And yet, Lord, as we think about our lives just now, we know that maybe there's spaces where it doesn't feel like you're being faithful. It doesn't feel like we're standing. Maybe we're struggling to see or to find hope. And so, Lord, those those words that we've just sung, in one sense we've sung them because they're true, in another sense I guess we've sung them as a prayer, that we would know them to be true, and that even this morning you might just root those more more really into our hearts and into our lives, that we might see how you are faithful, how you are a rock, how you are a place of refuge, how we can find hope in you. Please help us to see that in our lives here today, we pray. Amen. Great. Please do grab your seats. And uh, keep Bruce 2 open if you can. Turn back to it if you, if you don't have it. It's page 267-268. Now, um, see this works. There we go. Um, Paul McCartney was recently on um, James Corden's Carpool Karaoke. I guess people have seen that, uh, that idea. Driving along with a sleb, singing in the car. Um, has anyone seen a Paul, Paul McCartney one? No, okay, I think it was earlier this year. And, um, and they were talking uh, together about the, uh, the inspiration for uh, the lyrics of the song Let It Be, that famous uh, Beatles track, which was written in 1970. And they were talking just this year and saying how that track just seems to be so relevant to them, even today, and, and why does it continue to be so popular? And they both agreed it's because it's got such a, a helpful message. And, um, and, and Paul was explaining... Uh, the, the, the lyrics came from this dream that he had, um, I think it was after his mother had died of cancer, where, where he kind of, his, his mother came to him in a dream, and, and, and really that's where the lyrics came from. And, uh, and I'm sure you all know them, but here's, here's the famous lyrics. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be. Whisper words of wisdom, let it be. I didn't sing it, that's good, isn't it? <laughs> really. And it sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds good. Basically, the answer to coping with suffering, with times of trouble and difficulty and pain in life, is just let it be. Just chill out. It will all be fine. Just let it be. I, I, I love the song. I like the Beatles, but I don't think those are words of wisdom. I really do not think that those are words of wisdom for suffering people. Because you know the experience, don't you, when you have that day when just like everything goes wrong that could go wrong. And sometimes it's a little bit trivial and it's, you know, you get up the next day and get on with it, but sometimes it's not. Or that week where everything goes wrong. Or maybe that year where just everything in life seems to go wrong. And the circumstances are just piling up, and you're basically at breaking point. And the question is, what is your hope? What is your help in times of trouble? Where do you seek a refuge? Is it just let it be? I don't think so. Toby um, introduced us last week to this story. We've kind of we're halfway through a story here today, um, so if you missed last week, you just have to bear with that. And this is the story of Naomi and Ruth, and it is a heartbreaking story. It's pretty bleak. 
Uh, as we pick up the story here today, we've got these two widows, both childless, uh, and they've just moved somewhere new to escape a difficult situation. So their whole life situation has changed. Uh, and Ruth is actually a foreigner in a new country, trying to get used to, to a new place. That's really emphasized throughout the, the references to Moab and Moabite as the, the foreign country where, where Ruth comes from. And Ruth has this um, aging mother-in-law, Naomi, who she's looking after and is dependent on her, uh, who's crippled by depression. And, and in that time, in that society, these, these are two vulnerable women with, with no real standing or security. Um, women really relied on, on men in that time to, to, to support them and provide their welfare and provide and protect for them. There's very little hope. I mean, they've just about got a roof over their head. They're not on the streets, but that's all they've got as we start the story here today. Now imagine if that was your situation, how you would feel. Or imagine what you would say if that was your friend. What kind of words of wisdom would you have for them? Ruth, your your husband's died at a young age. Let it be. You've got no job, no income. Let it be. You're in poverty, and you're stuck in poverty. Let it be. You're walking with a family member through depression. Let it be, Ruth. You're a lonely foreigner. You're vulnerable and you're in a strange place. Let it be. Listen, the Bible has a very different song for us in our times of trouble. It has a very different song for Ruth in her times of trouble. And that's what I want us to see this morning. And the good news is, is that this story of Ruth is very much, and Naomi as well, is very much a rags to, to riches story. Uh, and we did see, if you, if you look back at um, page 267, Toby showed us last week, there was just this little glimmer of hope in what's been a very sad story uh, so far at the end of that last chapter, the last verse, 22, where the, the, the narrator tells us that the barley harvest is coming. So desperate times, but at least there's the chance of some harvest and, and some food coming. And so as we start the story again in chapter 2, we pick it up with Ruth, really pursuing the only lead that she has. And that's getting up and going and getting any job she can take. Basically, one step up from begging. It's kind of, I don't know, maybe the equivalent of selling the big issue or or maybe just taking the most rubbish zero-hours contract because you're just desperate. And so in verse 2, she heads out to the hard labor in the fields, basically seeing what kind of scraps of grain she can pick up as she goes. But but her hope in verse 2 is this, that she will find favor with someone. Do you see that? She goes out in the hope that she will find favor. And as it turns out, she's in the field of this guy called Boaz. Now this could be really bad news. Ruth is a poor and a vulnerable young woman in a foreign country. Now that is an easy target for an unscrupulous man, isn't it? And don't we actually see that all over our city today? But Boaz is different. See, Boaz, his story is very different to Ruth. His story is not so tragic. His story is a pretty good one. This is a businessman. He's wealthy. It seems like he's popular and successful. Life is going well for him. And you know, Boaz could just let the good times roll. He doesn't have a need for other people particularly. Perhaps he doesn't even really have a need for God. Life is very good. But no, Boaz is different, and he knows that all of his life is lived before the face of God. 
We see what type of man he is um, in verse 4 as he arrives to, uh, to his business to, to see how things are going. And he greets his workers. As he does so, he says, the Lord be with you. He acknowledges God, even in his business life. And clearly he's liked and respected. It seems like his, his workers are happy to work for him. He's a good man and he's a good boss. And so he's a respectable man. And so it continues in verse 5, as firstly, Boaz notices Ruth. He notices her. And then we see in verse 8 that he speaks very kindly and gently to her. In verse 9, he helps her. And even in verse 12, he prays to God for her and seeks her blessing. That is an incredible response. We need to see that as an incredible response. Ruth is, an, is not only a foreigner, but she's from Moab, and Moab is notorious among, Moab, uh, among Boaz and his people. That is a place of threat. Ruth is a threat to the security of Boaz and potential threat to the security of his people. But no, Boaz seems beyond that, and she finds favor with him. It's repeated there in verses 10 and 13. She finds favor. He sees, no, she's not a threat, but she needs help. And Boaz is the start of, of Ruth's story taking a better turn. I just want to, we're going to dive back into the story. I just want to take a moment and think about Boaz as an example to us. And particularly for us men, as Boaz is an example. There's this debate today, isn't there, about masculinity. About what does it mean to be a man? What should we expect from men? How do we get in our society the men that we want? Well, listen, I think the essence of what the Bible says about what it means to be a man is it is someone who takes responsibility. Someone who stands up and takes responsibility. And here is Boaz, a great example for us. A man who is rich and yet generous to others. A man who is strong and yet gentle. A man who is successful and yet kind. A man who is very able and yet full of empathy for those who are the weakest and the neediest. This is a man who uses his power for the weak and the vulnerable. I think it's entirely right for us to see a great example of manhood, of manliness, and of masculinity in Boaz. And it's worth us just pausing on that for a moment and thinking about our context. Inner city Birmingham. What do the people of inner city Birmingham need from us men? Especially those vulnerable women that we live amongst, especially the young children. I think they need more men like Boaz. The question is, are the men of this church going to be those men for those people around us? I think it's important to just take note of that. But let's get back to the, to the story. So there's this thing going on between, between Ruth and Boaz. Boaz showing his favor to Ruth and her being blessed by that. But, but we can't miss what's at the heart of what's going on. And there's something else going on, not just between Ruth and Boaz, but it's actually that God is central to this very, uh, the very things that are happening. And, and you see, we miss that, and we think he's not, because the way that the narrator tells the story, there doesn't seem to be much place for God. Never really mentions him. And it might feel like that sometimes in our story, that God's a bit absent. Where's God here? Well, listen, he seems silent, but he's always working. Okay? There's those little chance encounters. 
those, the, the timing of how things happen, the small details that look like coincidences, that look like, oh, that's just the way stuff happens. But no, it is God graciously weaving his purposes through people's lives. So, so the chapter starts out in verse 1, not a very subtle hint. The narrator introduces randomly this relative of, of Naomi. There's this guy called Boaz and the client of Elimelech. And you're thinking, what's he got to do with anything? And, and we're, we're kind of waiting to see what part he's going to play in the story. And, and then as it turns out in verse 3, Ruth goes out just trying to find any fields. And as it turns out, she finds herself in Boaz's field. What a coincidence. And, and just so happens, verse 4... Baraz arrives in the field just after Ruth has. What an incredible chance surprise, eh? It's that kind of irony to it. It shouldn't be lost on us when we see things with a proper perspective, with the eyes of faith. Now God is at work. This is the kindness and the grace of God, even in those small little details. Yes, he's unseen, but he's very real. And actually so much so that when Ruth gets home that evening, she goes back to Naomi and she said, you know, Naomi's like, what, what happened today? Ruth tells her. Look, look at verse uh, 20. Naomi recognizes God's work. She says this, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. The question is, who is showing kindness to the living and the dead? At first it sounds like Boaz, and there's an extent to which that is true. But no, Naomi is saying, it is God's. Another way we could, um, we could see this, this sentence is this. May he, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi says, this is God being kind to us through this man, Boaz. And so God is the one who is to be thanked and praised. And you see, even Boaz recognizes it's God's work there in, in verse 12, a little bit earlier. He says to Ruth, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. It's not me that you've come to find, Ruth. It's God you are seeking refuge in. I recognize that. This is this beautiful pic, picture seeking refuge under the wings of God. The way, you know, you, you kind of seen it in those, I don't know, one of those David Attenborough nature programs or something. The, the way that a mother bird provides security and, and protection and, and nurture and safety for a little chicks under, under her wings. Beautiful picture, isn't it? It's, it's Ruth in, in her trouble and her despair, kind of nestling herself into the, the sovereign God, seeking safety and, and, and security in the God of the universe, the God of Israel. Seeking his protection and, and the refuge under his mighty wings. And so that's what Ruth is doing. She's seeking refuge in God. And yet God is the one who's doing all of the work to make it happen. God is drawing her to himself. Been reading um, uh, a book to, to Elise. We, we started reading this week called The Silver Chair by, Sil- uh, by C.S. Lewis. Uh, some of you will know it. It's part of like the Narnia series of books. And there's been film- you might have seen the films recently with, with Aslan the Lion and, and that kind of stuff. 
Anyway, in, in, in this book, The Silver Chair, there's these two um, children, Eustace Scrub and Jill Pole. And, uh, and they're trying to escape some bullies at school. And, and so they call out to Aslan, saying, Aslan, help us. And sure enough, Aslan helps them. And, and they escape the bullies, and, and, and the story continues. And then they're discussing what's happened a little bit later in the story, and there's this beautiful thing uh, that Aslan the lion says to them. Uh, he says this, You would not have called to me unless I had been calling to you. You would not have called to me unless I had been calling to you. It's the same here in the story of Ruth. Yeah, Ruth is seeking her refuge in God, but it's only because God is first seeking Ruth and drawing her to himself. He is drawing her into his refuge and into his safety. He is giving his favor to her. It looks like she's kind of pulling herself up by her bootstraps, getting up and getting out and getting some work and and changing her circumstances. But no, really, it's God at work. God drawing her. God changing her circumstances and giving her his blessing. It's the same for all of us. We only seek him because he first sought us. And then the Christian experience, and you will know this, many of you, is that we go on experiencing his graciousness, kind little interventions in life day by day. Maybe we don't see them and maybe we don't recognize them. The chance meeting here, the narrow escape there, the surprising outcome of that, the kind blessing in another part of life. You know, Naomi and Boaz are a good example for us. They see what God's doing and they recognize it. They call it out. They give thanks to him. Maybe we can do that. Maybe we can see and say where we see God working like that in our lives. As Christians, we can be so godless, can't we, sometimes? We can be so ashamed I don't want to sound weird saying, oh yeah, God helped me in that situation, or God did this, or God did that. We don't need to be ashamed. Let's turn and give thanks to God when we see that stuff happening. And, and this is what happens, really, in the story of Ruth, is that she finds favor, and it is a beautiful story of abundance, of provision, and of protection. Provision and protection. So if you look down at verse 14, she's having this meal with Boaz at the end of the day. He says, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. She sat down with the harvesters. He offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. And then as she goes home to Naomi, we continue to read, and, and she gathered about four gallons of grain in the day. That's a large amount for someone to gather in one day. There's this sense of, of this overflowing, and, and they eat, and they have loads of left over after they, they're well-fed and really satisfied. And it's kind of repeated over and over. There's an abundance in the provision of this letter, of, of, of this story. And part of that abundance is due to Boaz and his faith in action. You see, what Boaz does for Ruth is he goes above and beyond what he's called to do. There's this, um, the, the welfare system back then, uh, the, the, the way that you could get access to benefits, basically, in that time, uh, was in this thing called the gleaning laws. And basically what it said, uh, it's in the Bible, it said to, 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 to those who owned land, when you're growing crops and you're harvesting, don't go right to the edge of your field. Leave a little bit around the edge. 
and leave that for the poor and the vulnerable to come and, and benefit from some of your crops. And if when you're harvesting through your field, you miss a bit or you leave some behind, don't go back and pick it up. Leave it for the poor and the vulnerable and the foreigner and the weak. And that is a way of providing a welfare system for those who, who didn't have land or didn't have resources to get by. And so Boaz does that. And he follows that law. I'm sure many didn't, but he did. But not only that, not only did he allow Ruth and these other vulnerable people to follow behind the workers, but do you see what he says uh, to his uh, workers? He instructs them to purposely leave stalks for Ruth. Leave some behind specifically for her. Take some out of my pocket and make sure she has some. My bottom line can go down a little bit. Make sure she's provided for. It's this generosity that's bordering on extravagance. Again, I think he's a great example to us. It's a good principle for our lives where we can maybe keep some margin in our lives for the benefit of others who have need. It's really tempting, isn't it, to just kind of max out on everything, squeeze as much as you can out of everything in life for your own benefit and your own, your own gain. But why don't we plan some margin into our finances? So it's just a bit left over that we can just give away when there's need. Or in how we plan our time in our diary. So there's a bit of give so we can respond to needs. Or even in our relational capacity and how much we take on in relationships. Maybe we can leave a little bit of space for new people and for needy people around us. Or even how we use our home. All of these things, maybe planning some margin so we can bless and serve others. That's the, the provision that we see. We also see the protection that, that Ruth gains through Boaz. Remember, Toby explained last week, this was a pretty brutal time to live. It was a bit like the kind of the Wild West or something, or, you know, lawless or whatever. It's it it a bad place and a bad time. And so no place for a young female foreigner to be fighting for herself. Very vulnerable to abuse. So as Boaz hears about Ruth, Here's her story, and she's kind of in his field. Verse 9, he, he says to the men, listen, you're not to lay a hand on Ruth. This is a time when men probably would have taken advantage of women all over the place. No, instead he tells the men, you're going to provide rest for her. You're going to provide drink for her. See, this is a man who stands tall amongst his people, amongst moral and spiritual chaos. He stands in integrity. And so Ruth finds refuge. She enjoys provision and protection. And things are starting to look up for her. As we kind of finish the chapter, things are good. Things are good. But they're still on the edge. See, it's still getting by day by day. What happens when the the, the barley and the wheat harvest finish? Where's she going to get food from then? We read at the end, she's still living with her mother-in-law. So her future prospects are not looking great as they look forwards. So yeah, there's kind of this renewed hope, but the question is, can it be delivered on? I guess we're left waiting to see. We'll see as we continue the story. There is this other little glimmer of hope at the end of the chapter here, that Ruth's story could be about to change for the better, and that's in verse 20. Naomi says this, Boaz is our guardian redeemer. Listen, that's a little hint 
with that comes all sorts of beautiful possibilities for the future. We're going to continue that in the next part of the story. But for now, it's worth just reflecting on, on this part of the story that we've seen. We see it unfold, how hope for Ruth and Naomi emerges through their despair. And it's that question I asked you at the start that I want us to return to. Where can we find hope? Where can you find hope when you find yourselves in times of trouble? Where will you find refuge when you find yourself in a situation like Ruth? How would the song of Ruth compare to the song of the Beatles that we started with? I'm sure we've seen there's loads of little practical wisdom from Ruth and Boaz as we've gone through. You know, from Ruth, there's some wisdom like, make the best you can of the situation, take what action you can, work hard, focus on, on small wins, the next steps. From Boaz, when life is good, seek to bless and look after others. Use what you have to provide for the needs of others around you. Live a life that is conscious of God. Those are great examples from them. But that's not the heart of the story. If you like, if, if, if there was a, a chorus or like the refrain at the heart of the song, or the title of the song, that isn't it. It's important we hear this. This is what is at the heart of this story today. It's all about seeking refuge in God and finding his favor amidst our troubles. It's about seeking our refuge in God and finding his favor amidst our troubles. You see, the whole Bible story of which this is just a part, is a story of God's kindness and his favor to us. It's a story of God's generosity to us through Jesus. How God delivers on these types of things we see in Ruth 2 in Jesus. And this story is a mini part of that great story about Jesus. Jesus is the one who called out to us a spiritually hungry Foreigners who are far away from God and disconnected from him. Who called out to us and drew us and brought us into the safe refuge of being close to God and under his protection and his provision. Jesus is the one who even now, uh, if we're his people, is showering his abundant favor and kindness on us. And his grace and his mercies. Protecting us and blessing us. Who is with us and loves us. One of the biggest issues with difficult times, times of trouble and suffering, and is that they cause us to look down and in. It happens to all of us. We look down and in. And our spiritual perspective just kind of just gets out of whack. Because the, the trouble and, and the heartache and the pain just kind of draws all of our, our attention and, 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 our, and our, our vision. But what we need to do is we need to fight to look up and out. To seek our refuge in God. To seek his favor. To, to have, seek to have eyes to see where his grace is at work, even amidst the troubles and the difficulties and the pains. And listen, because of Jesus, we can do that. We can do that better than Ruth can. 
And, and, and as we do that, we can experience God's abundant provision and his protection. We can experience his grace in the times of trouble. We need to remember for a Christian, there's always go, more going on than our immediate circumstances. There's always truer things happening amongst those things. And so I want to suggest that the, the song for us as Christians isn't let it be amidst the day of trouble and, and difficulty, but it's instead but Jesus. And this is what, what it might look like for you. It might be a recognition, yes, I'm still single and I'm lonely, but Jesus has loved me. Jesus has loved me with a love that will never end. And he has committed himself to me. He's got an undying love for me. It might look like, yes, I'm grieving the loss of a dear family member or, or a dear friend. But Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And all who die in him will be raised to everlasting life. It might look like, yes, I am unemployed and I'm struggling to make ends meet and, and I'm struggling to get through day by day. But Jesus has shared with me an inheritance that will never perish or spoil or fade, that is secure. It might look like I'm in a foreign country. I've got an uncertain future. I don't know if I'm going to get a long-term visa. But in Jesus, I have a home. A home where I belong, again, that is secure and certain for me. It may look like I'm exhausted and I'm worn down by the circumstances and the situation of life. But that Jesus gives me strength. He gives me strength to find contentment in the trials. He gives me strength to find joy in my circumstances. And he gives me strength to persevere to the end. It might be that I'm anxious. I'm depressed, I'm fearful, and I'm on the edge. But Jesus gives me a spirit of peace, an inner peace that words can't really explain. Again, bringing joy and contentment. You see, this is our hope. If you're not yet a Christian, this can be your hope amidst the troubles of life. This is a hope that grows through the despair of life. And this is to be our song. And quite often we need to help one another to sing that song. Maybe we need to sing it to each other. It's not a magic wand over the troubles of life. Just kind of let it be and oh, it just all get better and it will be fine. No, it's God is our refuge. Jesus is with us and for us. So we have a hope, a hope that lasts, a hope that increases, and a hope that even this morning can be renewed in our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your grace, your mercy, your favor is new even today. And however deep our troubles go this morning. Your grace goes deeper. We praise you and we thank you. Would you renew in us a hope? Would you give us eyes to see where your favor is upon us? Would you build our faith? 
Thank you that you have not left us nor forsaken us. Lord, where we have wandered from you, we're sorry, and we come back to seek our refuge in you again. In your name we pray. Amen.